Number two of the Scorpio International Holding Company, LLC. I am your host, Dave Scorpio. And in this hour, we have a very special guest, a man who, for the last 40 years, has been working on unique perspectives on history and American history in particular uh, through primary source research by digging up old letters and actual correspondence, uh, real documents between the people who were alive then, uh, to give a different perspective on American history as we know it and history in general. And that is no other than Mr. Mike Gaddy, a fellow host here uh, here at RBN. And so, Mike, are you there, sir? I'm here, Dave, and I want to thank you very much for inviting me on. Great. Well, I appreciate uh, your time, Mike, and uh, your efforts. You've you've really taught me a lot over the years since we've known each other. And, you know, uh, it's so important to know and understand history. And I think the last time we were talking, we started just briefly going on about sort of the history of of communism in America and with uh, Joseph McCarthy and uh, just how spot on the man was. But what I want to do is kind of work our way back to sort of the beginning of communist infiltration of America, which I believe you said is what um, in the eighteen forties is when it began. Yes, or, or 18... they, yes, it began in earnest in the eighteen forties, Dave, uh, and uh, then uh, when the communist or Marxist uh, had uh, started their clubs and uh, their motivational movements in Europe. Uh, a lot of people said, no, you're not doing that here. There ended up being uh, many of them arrested. Others fled the country to avoid uh, arrest or end prosecution. So uh, many of them came to America. And one of the first things these Marxists did, many of them with direct connections to Karl Marx, one of the first things they did was they bought up every newspaper they could find. Imagine that. So this was by, by what, what year would you say they had bought up most of the newspapers by the 18, early 1860s, late 1850s? Well, let's look at their political party. The political party they created was the Republican Party, the Republican Party of today. That's why it's called the Party of Lincoln. It came to prominence. It became really strong under Lincoln. But we have to remember, if we want to ask how well they had progressed, let's look at the 1850, uh, what was the 1854 election? And the Republicans ran their presidential candidate, Charles Fremont, and lost. 
And so then in the six years from 1854 to 1860, they engineered enough different things to influence the people to create the split that they wanted to do for the international banking cabal. I mean, Dave, uh, how many people know that the Rothschilds actually had one of their own Solomon James Rothschild actually traveling from north to south for uh, approximately two years, uh, 1858 to 1860. So we know that the uh, Rothschilds were following their money here. And I've got copies of the letters that Rothschild sent back to his uncle in France primarily and telling him what was happening on both sides. Of course, in the north, he visited with quite a few people there, including Horace Greeley and quite a few of the New England wealthy folks. He visited with them. But then he also, you know, he went south and spent an awful lot of time with Judah P. Benjamin in the south who would later end up being the Confederate Secretary of War, Secretary of State, and Attorney General at one time or another. That's interesting. And, Mike, uh, as we get into this topic, you know, what would you say the connection is between Judaism and communism? Because certainly we know for certain that in the Russian Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution was primarily uh, Jewish. I mean, the top people, almost all of them are Jewish, and according to us, um, many sources, all the cabinet members, the top people, uh, even the people that ran the, the gulag camps were Jewish. Uh, uh, so what, what, how would you make that connection or what, what do you think the connection is? Well, I think, it. you know, if we want to go back in our own history and, you know, we want to ask ourselves a very simple question. How did a 17 year old bastard kid in Nevis in the uh, in central, you know, down in the uh, islands out in the world did they get all of the money to come to columbia university to get to go through what is now columbia university all expenses paid and then become a staff member for george washington's army yeah it's it's sort of this uh, meteoric rise that makes no sense kind of like bill clinton but that's another uh discussion there but it, it it's sort of a pattern there that is oh, very yes. similar well, you keep you keep using it, Dave, until it doesn't work anymore. And yes, you know, of course, we've got Bill Clinton, but uh, uh, how many people are actually aware that Bill Clinton's father was David Rockefeller? Yes, yeah, I believe for sure uh, it was one of the Rockefellers. It could have could have been um, uh, Lawrence Rockefeller. Uh, who knows? Uh, but yeah, uh, I think there's a lot lot of evidence that he's a bastard son of of one of the Rock- Rockefellers. And a lot of people don't know that the Rockefellers have huge holdings in Arkansas. It's like their pet state. They have a giant estate there. There's roads and uh, all kinds of things named after the the, uh, Rockefellers there. Yeah. Well, Dave, uh, when I was uh, in Arkansas for two years uh, and uh, doing some work for the Arkansas Trial Lawyers Association, uh, you know, I saw that very much of what they had and how they were able to manipulate uh, especially there, and when you look at the Clintons. But I remember uh, being in Hope, Arkansas. I gave uh, several programs in Hope, Arkansas. And I talked with some old-timers afterwards who came up to me after the program at a restaurant there in Hope. And these uh, old-timers came up to me afterwards and said, yeah, I said, well, you do knew. We all knew here. Everyone knew when she got pregnant that Bill Clinton's mother 
who was doing Oliver bar hopping and everything all over, said it became common knowledge that it was David Rockefeller. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. So, so that that is just, you know, I can't wow. prove it. I can't prove it. But when you talk to people who've lived in an area for most of their lives, and at that time they were probably, uh, you know, 60s or 70s, these two gentlemen that came up and talked to me, uh, they have a lot more insight into what's happened in their own area than any of us ever will. Oh, absolutely. And, and it is a, a pattern. I believe there's a lot more secret bastard children that have a different name than the surname of their of their father, uh, these bastard offspring that are actually uh, agents of this cabal. And they, this way, they hide uh, really how small the sort of inner circle really is by, oh, no, he's a he's a Clinton. And if you look at Clinton, Bill Clinton's father, you can't find any information on this guy. I mean, there's barely even a picture of him. Uh, it's really amazing how little information there is on Bill Clinton's father. Well, uh, combining when I was there, combining a multiple visit to Hot Springs and uh, even actually attending some uh, meetings in Hot Springs uh, that were, uh, you know, with a lot of uh, uh, state representatives in attendance. I remember I had uh, uh, dinner with the uh, now deceased uh, former senator from Arkansas, Linda Collins Smith who was found stabbed to death in her driveway. Uh, and uh, the things that she discovered, uh, well, you know, let's go with the official story. Uh, one of her <laughs> girlfriends stabbed her to death over 30 bucks. Okay, all right, moving <laughs> on. That's believable. Yeah. but yeah, Women stab know, each other all the time. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, th th again, this is a pattern of, of uh, meteoric rises that are very uh, suspicious and possibly a whole uh, technique or tactic of using bastard children. Now, uh, would you say that really, so by the time Abraham Lincoln uh, got into power, would you say that he, his was sort of the first fully Marxist administration in American history, or, or, or do you think there was ones before that? On the national level, it would be Lincoln. Uh, yeah. But let's not forget that Lincoln had been in the House of Representatives, I believe, what was it, uh, 1848 to 1850? And then he couldn't get reelected in his own state. And then he ran for senator, uh, you know, against Douglas, Stephen A. Douglas. He ran against him and lost. Why could a man who couldn't carry his own state in two elections be considered the primary man you want to run for president? Well, yeah, that doesn't really make much sense, and it goes back to the idea that elections have been fixed uh, long before 2020, let's say, uh, to say the least. So um, so Lincoln had a Marxist administration, and who were the people that you know surrounded him that you would say were the primary operatives? Well, uh, number one, as we move into it, uh, I believe Lincoln was – uh, on his own accord, he thought that it was going to be a, a wham, ma'am, thank you, ma'am, and the South was going to be defeated. And uh, his advisors hadn't told him, you better watch out for these guys. And they didn't they hadn't learned the same lesson that the Redcoats learned when they invaded Charleston Harbor and then started their movement north in the Revolutionary War. They didn't find out about these southern boys that will hide behind a tree in a rock and shoot you. Uh, they don't necessarily march in straight lines and wave at you and hold up flags for you to shoot at. 
they fought what was would be today considered, uh, you know, fourth generation, uh, third, fourth, or fifth generation warfare. Uh, they were not going to line up in a line and shoot people. And it ended up being a much bigger problem. Well, just about the time that the finances become a problem, Abraham Lincoln gets uh, uses uh, Mr. Uh, Chase, Samuel Chase, uses him and says, look, uh, we're going to need money if we're going to keep this war going. And so Samuel Chase says, well, uh, let me get in touch with the international banking cabal and let me see what they say. So he comes back to Lincoln. Now, folks, this is in the National Archives. He comes back to Lincoln and he says, uh, well, the uh, international banking cabal said they'll loan us all the money we want at 40% interest. <laughs> and Lincoln says, oh, I can't do that. And no, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't believe the people will any come anywhere near supporting loans at 40% interest. And so then suddenly you get the hazard circular, which is read and produced by the Bank of England sent to the banks in America. Now, remember, they had already taken them over, the majority of them. And so they send this notice that, uh, yes, uh, we're going to do away with slavery because slavery is costing us too much. But we are not going to allow the federal government to continue with these uh, uh, notes called greenbacks. We're not going to allow that because we can't make any money at it. And so then... And in the hazard circular, they stipulate that they sent, they didn't say they sent money, but that we have Salmon P. Chase influencing enough members of Congress to pass our currency acts of 1862 and 1863. So eventually, at that time, I believe they just kind of kicked Lincoln aside, said, okay, do your Emancipation Proclamation, whatever you want to. Lincoln was a puppet from the beginning, but then they really kind of kicked him to the side, and they brought in Charles A. Dana, who had been the publisher for uh, Greeley's, or the editor, I'm sorry, for Greeley's newspaper, the largest circulation in America at the time. And so they uh, used Charles A. Dana and sent him to Lincoln and Lincoln immediately takes a very close personal friend of Karl Marx and makes him assistant secretary of war. Then Charles A. Dana moves his command to uh, Ulysses S. Grant and he shadows Grant everywhere Grant goes. Well, shortly after he goes there um, and after Vicksburg and Gettysburg, who does Lincoln make the commander sort of the chief commander? And that would be Grant who happens to be with Charles A. Dana. And you look at the number of uh, Marxist and avowed members of the Communist Party, or the Communist Clubs, as they called them in the 1850s and 1860s. They are vow avowed members, Wiedemeyer, Blinker, you know, others that, come, that had come to this country. Some of them can't even speak English well yet. And then you look at what they did to the southern civilians is when they encountered them. Now, there's a lot of people who will tell you, well, it didn't really start till it got late in the war. Oh, bull. It started at the very beginning of the war, and the records in the National Archives prove it. They started wow. ma massacring civilians on day one. Go ahead, yes. Dave. I'm sorry. No, no, that's, that, that's really amazing. And again, we're seeing patterns here. Um, you know, another pattern I see with what's happening right now in Gaza is Netanyahu is saying, well, we need to de-radicalize the Gazans after this is over. So 
He's saying we need to re-engineer their society. And I think that brings us right to reconstruction in the South. Absolutely. Because isn't that essentially what they attempted to do in the South? Absolutely. They reconstructed socialism, communism, you know, whatever you want to call this ism. They have combined it in America to work to perfection. They have all of the far left-wing social, cultural Marxism of communism, and then they also have, on the other side, they have, uh, you know, their um, fascism, where they've got the government connected with every major producer, especially if it comes to foreign arms or in, or arms for warfare or anything like that. So they, they have combined in this government combining exactly what Hitler didn't want to happen in World War II. Combining fascism and socialism, uh, fascism and communism, and it's over. Because there's no way out. And then, you know, as uh, uh, the uh, wonderful pastor wrote after after the Civil War, is that the Republicans are nothing, and I'm going to paraphrase, the Republicans are nothing but liberals uh, three steps behind wearing sandals. (laughs) I think that's a great summation, and that's exactly how it is today. The The Republican Party of today, they really have no vision of their own. All they do is react to what the Democrats do. They exactly. tap their foot on the brake pedal from time to time. They hem and haw, but then they eventually end up conceding in some kind of a deal that brings some pork to their district. Well, Dave, I brought up last night on my program here on Republic Broadcasting Network, uh, on the Rebel Madman program, I brought up last night something that most people are totally unaware of. Since March of 2022, which is what, uh, 20 months, 21 months, something like that, 22 months. And in that period of time, this country has spent enough, sent enough money, allegedly, to the Ukraine to build a wall on the Mexico-U.S. border Five times. <laughs> now, who's the government worried about? Is the government more worried? Is this, is this government, are they worried about what could happen if they bring in suitcase nukes or if they bring in bad drugs or bring in poison or bring in something across the southern border? Our government's not worried about that. So what? Bring them in. We'll pay for it. Yeah. I, I don't understand, Dave, why Americans can't see this. Oh, well, I forgot. Football's on. Yeah, we got football. Uh, Super Bowl's coming up, Mike, so we got to pay attention to that. But, you know, I think Joe Biden said that walls don't work. Uh, I believe Nancy Pelosi said the same thing. She has a big wall around her property. And, of course, Israel has like a 30-foot wall around uh, Palestine, around uh, Gaza. That seems to work for them. Uh, but it's funny how uh, how much money, like you point out, we've sent over to Ukraine I think they're admitting close to $200 billion at this point. It might even be more than that. And, you know, I heard an interesting account from someone that uh, lives in um, Monte Carlo uh, that um, they've never seen so many yachts from Ukraine, luxury yachts, come into their port there uh, (laughs) as they have in the last year and a half. Imagine that, Dave. (laughs) Imagine that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure yeah. it's just a coincidence, of course. Oh, yes. Uh, Coinky dink for sure. Yeah. Now, uh, so 
So continuing on, uh, Mike, if I could get, can I get your definition of communism? Because I, I think the, the lines get blurred. Like from where I sit, I don't see a lot of difference between monopolistic capitalism uh, and communism. It, it seems to me that once you have a, a system of monopolistic capitalism where all the capitalists, so-called capitalists, are actually uh, in bed with the government and have a monopoly in their field or sector, how is that different than so-called communism? Or what would your definition be of that? Well, communism is a little bit, you know, it's been distorted back, you know, one way or the other. Everybody's a communist uh, in so many different ways. But in essence, a highly totalitarian centralized government that is the final arbiter of its own actions is always a combination of uh, socialism, uh, you know, fascism, whatever ism you want to use. If the government is in control and total control and the people have no say-so in effect, and it's all an illusion. Well, here comes the music. We'll get back on it. Yes. Uh, we're getting to the definition of things here. This is very good, Mike. And everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back. We've got a lot more to cover, guys. excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasteurized meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. Have you been looking for a trusted long-term storable food company? We have a solution for you. Simply Clean Foods is dedicated to providing the best quality food you can buy next to fresh from a farmer's market. 
Our line of resealable fruits, vegetables, and meats are suitable for everyday use, and you won't have to worry about throwing away valuable groceries ever again. Our food is completely GMO-free, and our stringent quality controls, plus testing for heavy metals, makes us unique in the storable foods market. Simply Clean Foods' primary focus is to bring clean food to people all around the world and change the way we look at freeze-dried food in our daily cooking. When you purchase from Simply Clean Foods, not only will you be receiving high-quality food, but you will also be supporting veterans in need across the country and those who are affected by natural disasters. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on long-term food storage in the rotating sponsors' banners to support RBN. Simply Clean Foods. Do it today. Okay, we are back. And before the break, uh, Mike was sort of just going into his definition of communism. I thought when he said that part of the definition is, is a gov- government being the final arbiter of its own actions. I think that's very profound. Uh, please continue on, on your, your thought there, Mike. Well, thanks, Dave. But that that is the bottom line. And, you know, we have been deceived with the public fool system for uh, well over a hundred years now, and our kids are uh, historical idiots. Uh, they know very little about true history if they've ever even heard any true history. But it's very simple. When the few control the many, it's an ism. Socialism, you know, fascism, communism, whatever you want to call it, they are all related. And trying to say one of them's better than the other one is like uh, being able to pick uh, the shooter at your assassin assassination. It's absolutely unreal, but they designed the system. This system was designed, which put a federal court in place that wasn't needed. There was nothing that had happened in the colonies. Patrick Henry pointed this out, but... Alexander Hamilton had way more influence there, considering he had Robert Morris on his side. He had George Washington on his side. He had Syme Holloman on his side from the synagogue of Philadelphia. He had all of these people on his side pushing this form of government, and they got it through. And it was a criminal conspiracy. And I, uh, people get all agitated about that. Well, it was inspired by God. Depends on who your God is. Because it had nothing to do with Christianity because they did away with any oath to the Christian faith, Article 6, Clause 3. It's been an ism in this country since the Constitution was ratified. And, uh, you know, Alexander Hamilton was an avowed socialist. They just didn't call it that back then. Right, and Alexander Hamilton is another one of these bastard children who was sort of a crypto or secret Jew, another pattern, a recurring pattern in history. Yes, very much so. And of course, he they had to get him here. They couldn't say his father was Jewish and his mother was Jewish. His mother, who is buried in a Jewish cemetery, which tells you all you need to know about that. But they said that he had he was the bastard stepchild of some Scottish trader named Hamilton. Well, that uh, that flies pretty good. That's kind of like Bill Clinton. 
and his uh, <laughs> yeah. father. But uh, no, none of that is actually true. It's something that's been played on us, and we've got, you know, all you do is, like uh, Samuel Bryan said, all that these Federalists have to do to get this passed is to wrap it in the cloak of divinity, and they did it. That's so true. And um, so so we go through, you know, Reconstruction in, in uh, the South, which basically that's what Netanyahu is calling for, sort of a reengineering of their society. And then uh, moving forward, what would you say the next big step was or in, in terms of administration? Because we know uh, Woodrow Wilson was certainly um, on board with the, this cabal uh, getting us into World War One and, and um, the Federal Reserve Act and m- multiple other things. Uh, would you say he's the next big step forward or, or is there, was there somebody in between there that you'd like to cover? Well, let's jump back on the other side of the music and talk about this, Dave. Okay, we'll do that. And we're at the the final break here for the show. So we can really get things rolling here after the bottom of the hour. So everyone, stay tuned. Watch out for that lunatic fringe. You can't handle the truth! You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shilaji hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilaji Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilaji as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilajit by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilajit literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilajit has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers, providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free, and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Email tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? 
For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plants. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. HempPaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at RepublicBroadcasting.org and visit HempPaste.com slash RBN. was our final break for this show and i just want to remind everyone to please support rbn it really is a bastion of free speech i don't think you're going to hear information like this anywhere else and with that uh mike please continue with uh your thoughts before the the bottom hour break all right dave if uh, i may i wanted to point out just to coincidentally that this past week uh, i did four sessions on my Substack. Uh, Whistling Dixie, and I did episode 25, 26, 27, 28, and those four episodes had to deal with, and I'm not finished yet, the conspiracy that brought Abraham Lincoln to the presidency. And this was a conspiracy that had happened, as you mentioned, it started with the creation of the Republican Party and the majority of the people who showed up in Ripon, Wisconsin, to create the Republican Party were members of the communist club or a communist society where they were. Many of them had migrated from England. They owned newspapers. They owned what have you. But anyway, it was a huge conspiracy. Uncle Tom's Cabin was involved. The uh, Missouri Compromise was involved. Uh, the Dred Scott case. Uh, who had the money to keep Dred Scott before the Supreme Court for 11 years? He didn't. Who put the money out there? Who sent John Brown into the South to kill people to incite a war? Uh, I've said, and I fully contend, that the first Bolshevik revolution happened in America, 1948 to 1982, was a complete Bolshevik revolution. Folks never forget that the first three states that Abraham Lincoln invaded after Fort Sumter was fired upon had not seceded from the United States. He invaded three states he thought would turn against him first. They had done nothing. Dave, I'm sorry. I get a little passionate over this. Go ahead. No, that's great information. And uh, what, what, why don't you give the listeners out there the name of your Substack? Well, it's uh, real simple. It's Michael, uh, lowercase, M-I-C-H-A-E. Substack.com. Okay, and, could you say that again? Because you, you cut out, at least on my end. Say it one more oh, time. I, I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, it's uh, Michael, lowercase, 
Gaddy lowercase together, no space, dot substack dot com. Okay, great. And uh, yeah, so there, there's so much to cover here, and we don't have a lot of time. The time always goes by so quickly. But if we jump forward to, because I definitely want to get uh, this Joseph McCarthy uh, thing. Oh, big time. Yes. Yeah, because it's an amazing story of, of this man, how he was demonized, even though he was pretty much spot on about everything. But we could say that um, Woodrow Wilson's um, administration was certainly uh, had a lot of, uh, you know, communist Marxists in it. And then certainly um, the biggest one in the 20th century had to have been, or at least in the early part of the 20th century had to have been uh, Roosevelt's administration uh, because uh, we saw the, the, blossoming of, of big government on every front uh all, so many of these institutions were created under roosevelt and um so and this his administration was just packed to the rafters with uh zionist jews by that point so what, what would you say about uh roosevelt and his administration well that was also a planned coup to where uh you know they were worried about the way things were going uh Stalin was facing some really tough stuff in uh, uh, in Russia. He, uh, Japan was kicking his butt and taking names. It was really bothering him. And Stalin knew if Germany comes into this and I have to fight Germany and Japan, I'm toast. I'm done. So he started uh, with his machinations. He moved his uh, people into office with FDR from the very beginning. Uh, one of the uh, FDRs, one of his very first acts was to recognize the Soviet Union because the United Nations hadn't recognized him yet or some foolishness like that. But anyway, hadn't been recognized. So it was he brought in his people and they were made sure, you know, and now there's a uh, proof. But the thing that was really remarkable, Dave, was that the United States Army had a intelligence branch called the Army Security Group. That was out there, and it later became the uh, National Security Agency after the war. But prior to the war, they were out collecting information. They had bundles and bundles and bundles of information about all of, uh, not Nazis, but all of these uh, uh, Russians who were involved in uh, in, uh, FDR's administration. And how they were sending uh, classified documents to Moscow and how all of this stuff was going on. But Dave, it, was ne- it wasn't published. Even when NSA had it in the, their archives, it, it would not publish it. Had it been published, it would have completely exonerated Joseph McCarthy and proved that everything he was saying about Hollywood, everything that he was saying about the uh, Russians or the communists uh, controlling the bankers, controlling America, was exactly spot on. They all went after him. But then, isn't it amazing that in 1994, they decide to declassify the papers that would have proved all of that 50 years earlier? Wow. That, that's By amazing. Way. By the way, and folks, they're called the Venona Papers, V-E-N-O-N-A. And it will show all of these agents that were working in the FDR administration. One of them slept, had a bedroom there, and he slept there for six years. And he had no job in the White House. Why was there a Soviet agent living with FDR? 
Well, what, what was the uh, the cover story that they used for uh, FDR to uh, recognize the Soviet Union? I mean, that's kind of shocking. What when they even the United Nations of all things wouldn't wouldn't recognize it? Well, the thing that was so amazing there, and it was almost like an an, an acceptance because Russia had been heavily involved in a Holomador, if you will, in all places in the early 1930s, and they had either starved to death or massacred or murdered almost 10 million Ukrainians. And the United States media covered it up for Russia. One guy actually got a Pulitzer Prize for lying about what was happening. And then the press started doing this, Dave. This is critical. As soon as anyone anywhere questioned the veracity, the media immediately would go in unison and start calling them fascist. Yeah, that's that's true. And um, of course, it was it was um, Hitler and Mussolini that tried to warn the world about the Holodomor. Yes. And um, it was America and the West that covered it up, which is really quite an incredible story in and of itself. Well, very much so. And then look, you know, with our, uh, uh, you know, Lynn Lease program, which was totally unconstitutional that was involved in. And we were sending military supplies to Russia that we were denying to MacArthur and other American troops. And that was all run out of folks. If you don't believe that, get Major Jordan's diary. Then uh, he was the uh, operational control of the program, Lynn Lease program in Montana. He was in charge of it all. He kept explicit records, and he proved that not only were we sending, did we send Russia all of the needs necessary to make an atomic weapon, then we blamed uh, someone else and, and hanged them. But the whole thing, and then the operation that led to the invasion of the Philippines, uh, not the Philippines, I'm sorry, but to Pearl Harbor, uh, that entire operation was engineered from the White House. Operation Snow. It was it was created and it was run by Henry White. His really name was Henry Weiss, but his he changed his name to Henry White, and he was he was a very close friend with Morgenthau, and they directed basically. Almost every president, Dave, I know it's hard to, for people to accept, and they don't want to accept it. My gosh, there's football on. We do, Why would we want to do this? But here is the very simple thing. America has been a socialist country since the 1840s. They, they have never changed. Now, the, I think the thing that led them to that massive move in America was Andrew Jackson refusing to allow a federal bank. They knew that they could not ever allow that to happen. So they had to set out to take over the country. And they did. And they have had control of it ever since. America has been socialist since 1840, 1842. Yes. And uh, going back to Pearl Harbor, uh, you know, you were the one that turned me on to the book uh, Day of Deceit, which, you know, proves that, you know, FDR knew the attack was coming, helped engineer it did everything they can to cause it and even moved, um, you know, old ships into place and recalled all the, the leave for the sailors for the, so there'd be maximum casualties. And of course, Hawaii wasn't even an American state 
at that time. And the American public was dead against, uh, I believe 80% of the American public was against participating in World War II prior to that event. Well, Admiral Jackson actually got fired. I think it was in 1940 uh, when uh, Admiral Jackson got fired because he said it's absolutely ludicrous to keep our combat forces in at Pearl Harbor. They need to be in California because if this thing does develop into a war, we need to protect America. Again, the same thing, Dave. The politicians in this country aren't worried about protecting the American people. That's the way down on their list. They have this agenda that they have to go by. And, and you know, to heck with the people. We don't care how many get hurt. We don't care about any of this. And it's, and it's never changed. And, you know, people say, well, if we could only elect good people. People, you don't understand what happens to any good people that slip by and accidentally get to the government. You just don't understand what happens to them. They either conform or they're gone. Strange things happen to people who do not acquiesce to the power structure in Washington, D.C. Sorry, buddy. Go ahead. No, that's true, Mike. I totally agree with that. And, um, of course, you know, I believe that these controllers, this cabal has a dossier on every politician that that comes into office, uh, including all of their weaknesses, their sexual predilections, and any skeletons that might be in their closet, uh, ready to to use to manipulate them, to get them to go along, or to actually coerce them into going along if they don't want to do so willingly. Oh, yes, and, you know, then all they got to do is go public with stuff, and if they don't have it, uh, you know, look at uh, what was done with Aaron Burr way back in that in our history, how they, uh, uh, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson didn't like him, and so they decided they would completely trash him. They came, had pay, newspapers print stories that he was a homosexual and that, you know, he was sleeping with every woman and man in town. They went through all of this stuff. This is not new. And I've asked people over and over again when they tell me, you spent all this year studying history. Why? Why, why? What difference does that make? I mean, you know, it makes no difference. And I said, no, that's not true. I said, you're a football fan. I said, they talk about the coaches at particular winning schools and how much they watch film. They're in the pros. They're looking for patterns. They're looking for the same thing happening over and over and over again, which gives them the predictive power. Okay, I see what they're going to do. Let's prepare for it. American public keeps getting slapped upside the head with things like a pandemic, which I predicted in 2009 in a printed article that the pandemic was coming. And, you know, and but, you know, what happens? Oh, well, you know, that guy, he's a conspiracy nut. You know, let's not talk to him or, you know, his re- research is flawed. Yeah, there's something wrong with that. So. That, that old phrase, uh, Dave, qui bono. Uh, exactly. And, you know, going to um, uh, Joseph McCarthy, you know, his secretary wrote a very glowing book about him and his character yes. uh, saying what an actual incredible man he was. Where do you think uh, he was getting his information? Clearly, somebody was feeding him uh, this information about the communist infiltration. And it's, it's actually they turned it into sort of this parody like, oh, he was crazy. He was paranoid. But it turns out. Really, almost everything the guy said was spot on. Where do you think he was getting his information from? Well, I do know that he had talked privately with uh, Major Jordan. 
Oh, okay. And I and I know he knew about land lease that way. Now, now if you go back and look at uh, Major Jordan's testimony before the House Un-American Affairs Committee, if you go back and watch it and see, this is the thing that gets me. Here's a man who's trying to tell the government the truth, and all they're trying to do is to, to discredit him and destroy him. And that, that is so typical because he was there to make public the truth. You know, just like Manny Johnson did. Manny Johnson came, gave him the truth about how uh, the uh, Soviets and how the Marxists were using blacks to separate America. And he went in, told them the truth. You know, two weeks later, he did. Uh, and then uh, they just, they I don't believe at the time they felt like that assassination was something they really wanted to get involved in. So all they did was just used Hollywood, used everybody that they could find to discredit to discredit Joseph McCarthy. And all he was trying to do was trying to warn the American public about what was coming. Oh, absolutely. And what, what years would you say he was uh, most active in this in this um, activity activity of his? Well, it seemed to be he seemed to be quite busy during this, the uh, tail end of the Second World War. He seemed to uh, also looking through some of his uh, letters. And I, uh, to me, uh, the things you find in letters between these people sometimes are just uh, head shaking. It's hard to believe uh, that we've never heard this, never been taught this. But he was uh, he was very much uh, involved in, uh, and I'm not sure if he had a connection with Patton or not, but he seemed to have some ideas about some things that were happening, about how Patton had been stopped by Eisenhower to allow Joseph Stalin to take Berlin and and most of the countries in that area. And uh, and everyone knew that if he took them over, it, it was just going to be, you know, another bloodbath. And they didn't care because they were being controlled and dominated by those people. And, and that is the, uh, you know, when we look at these things and we look in time, how these people have tried their best to tell the American public. I mean, you know, uh, George Patton had challenged Eisenhower about the over 20,000 American POWs that Stalin's forces had taken to Germany, I mean, to Russia, and were using for uh, medical experiments and other stuff. And Patton, in a direct confrontation with Eisenhower on a, a train platform in Germany, said, Ike, you either do something about it or by damn I will. I'm not going to allow this to happen. Now, if we've studied Patton, no one saw what was coming better than George Patton. George Patton saw where the influence was. He saw what was happening. He was very much aware of it. He had written to his wife prior to his death, stating that he was not going to retire from the Army. He was just going to quit and come home. And he was going to tell the American public how World War II lasted at least a year longer than it ever should have and why. Well, the powers that be could not allow a figure with the notoriety of a George Patton to get back to the States and tell that story. They couldn't allow it. So he so ends up dying in a, in a low-speed car accident. Well, actually, I don't think the accident, uh, ironically, even his dog wasn't hurt in that accident. <laughs> and he was the only one in the vehicle that had any injuries whatsoever. And here is America's, you know, what was he, three or four star back then? I'm trying to remember which one. But anyway... 
he's one of the one of the premier leaders of the American military, and there's no real investigation into the accident that allegedly takes his life. Did, now, didn't it he appears, die in the hospital? Yes, it appeared in the hospital that he was actually making a recovery. His wife had come from the States, and she was with him. And the notes that I saw, ironically, of the weirdest places to find stuff, and at the time, I hadn't realized that George Patton had been a student at Virginia Military Institute and then switched to West Point. But uh, found some communications in different places that show that uh, Patton was very much upset about the fillets gap. He was very much uh, upset that uh, Eisenhower had told him to stop. and But Patton saw through what was happening, and he didn't want the Russians to take that part of the uh, France at the time. And he, he just kept going. And every time he would get a message from headquarters, he would instruct his staff to say, garbled, garbled, cannot read, garbled. Well, it took uh, Eisenhower a little while to figure out what he was doing, so Eisenhower just cut off all of his supplies. And George Patton was in, within six-tenths of a mile, a kilometer. He was within a kilometer of totally encircling the Nazi army in France. And Eisenhower pulled all of his supplies and sent them to Montgomery, who was still stuck in the hedgerows. Wow. He even, yeah. And most people, well, most people are totally unaware of that. Well, that's incredible. And it's amazing how we allowed Stalin to gobble up all these Eastern Ooh. European countries into the Soviet Union after fighting a war to stop Hitler from uh, taking countries in Europe. And then we hand all those countries over to Stalin, just give them to him at, at the end of the war, essentially. And then, what, a few years later, suddenly Russia's our, our greatest enemy after doing all that we can to prop communism up. It, it just, it's incredible how this story goes uh, and twisted as, as needed for, the, for their own particular purposes. No logic to any of it. Well, that's true. And, you know, and also let's look at the, the National Defense Authorization Act of 1994 uh, when they actually went in and uh, they reinstated Kimmel and Short, uh, the naval commander and the army commander at uh, uh, Pearl Harbor. They re- gave them their rank back and said they had been absolved of any wrongdoing. Because they were the ones that everybody pointed to, including FDR after Pearl Harbor, saying, we weren't prepared. And he blamed it on the two military leaders. And thank goodness for the integrity of their children. Because their grandchildren were the ones who were pushing a lawsuit against the federal government. They had long since passed. But in 1994, under the Clinton administration, they go in in the National Defense Authorization Act, give them back their rank and their position and say it wasn't their, wasn't their fault. Possibly, yes, yes. And uh, what was the, the uh, epilogue to Joseph McCarthy? What, what happened to him? I, uh, could you give us a sort of a sketch of the end of his career and what, what happened to him? Dave... I've thought many times what it must have been like, and I think about my fellow Blackball spook up there, uh, you know, Blackbird 9, and he and I have talked about what, how, how much it really hurts you and how much it means when you're trying to tell the people the truth, which will protect their own interest. 
and they don't want to believe you. I have, I, I believe that uh, Joseph McCarthy was a very tormented man, Dave. I believe that had to be very, very tough on him because he, like so many of us who have been on this this journey, and I'm certainly not in his uh, section of the woods, but when you're on this section, when you're when you're really trying to do this, it profits you nothing. But the truth is what it is. So you try to push the truth. And you find out that people make a lot more money telling lies in America than they do telling the truth. I mean, look at your uh, uh, minister and uh, Hagee and these others. Look look at what these people are worth. You know, look at, uh, you know, the uh, uh, people in the media. Mark Levin, $300 million for what? Just right. me. I'm sorry. No, you're, you're right. And circling back to the beginning of this conversation, Joseph McCarthy represented the state of Wisconsin, of all states. Yes. Ironic, huh? It is. Well, there we go, Mike. Hour is up. It went by so fast. I want to thank you for coming on, Mike. Um, your information is vitally needed, and I appreciate everything that I've learned from you over the years. Thank you for coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Dave. My pleasure, buddy. Okay. And until next time, everyone take care. That's another two hours gone. So until next time, bye-bye. Take care, buddy. Cheap motels and beer on the Lone Highway. Don't trust anyone on the Lone Highway. On the Lone Highway. media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. to Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. truth, truth.